Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. We're going to finish our little series that we've been doing on Mark chapter 2 and the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. We had um, Shane Clifton with us last week and he shared some of his insights and perspective from his own life as a, as a quadriplegic as he approaches that text. And I just found that really lovely to just listen to his story and how his reading of these passages has shifted and changed over time. And it just gives dignity, I suppose, to the ways in which our reading of Scripture, you know, that God keeps coming to us alive and fresh um, in each season of our life as we, as, we, um, as we read the Bible and as we wrestle with it and as we let it, Um, be a mirror to us and as we interact and engage with the text. So tonight I want to share um, a little bit, maybe a bit more personally um, from my own life, from from this text um, about healing. And what I want to do is I do just want to talk, that clock's wrong, I'm just going to check the time. I did notice that the other week and didn't have fresh batteries, I must remember. Um, I want to just talk for a little bit, share some of the share some of the wrestles I've had with healing with with this passage over time, and then I want to actually leave space at the end of our service where we can just be um, quiet and reflective in the presence of God, where we can pray for one another. I think it's really important as the people of God that we pray for one another, that we lift one another up to God in prayer, Um, you know, that we pray if there's anyone here who has aches, pains, weariness, things in their body, that we pray for one another. And we'll also come to the table of the Lord as an act of restoration and healing. So I I want it to be, I want us to finish our time together this afternoon just with with a chance to, to draw near, nearer to God and let his presence draw near to us and to just in safe ways for each one of us um, engage with what God might have to say to us. So let's just read. I'm going to read out this passage. Um, so this is a story that is across three of the, the Gospels, but we're, we, we're just looking at Mark's version, not for any particular reason. Um, so Mark chapter 2, 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, 
to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amen. Good story, isn't it? Amazing story. I do really like this one. Um, in order to kind of like situate ourselves in, in this passage, in the tensions and the goodness that this passage brings up, I want to share two stories from my life that relate to, to, my, to bodies and healing. So when I was 18, when I, was, I moved out of home when I was 17 years old. I moved from Western Sydney, came down here to study uni. Um, it was great. So stoked to be moving out of home. And it was really cool. About halfway through that year, I started to get sick quite regularly. Um, just colds and flus type of sick, you know. But it seemed to be this rolling sickness that I'd get every three or four weeks. Probably around October, I'd gone home for a weekend really quite unwell. Again, just another stupid cold and flu. Um, I went across the road to the local doctor that I'd, you know, been seeing as a kid and through my teenage years, who took one look at my throat and put me straight into hospital. And so I had glandular fever, unsurprising for an 18-year-old female. Um, and my, I had a, like a bacterial throat infection that had gotten so bad my throat had almost closed up with the white bacterial stuff that was growing in there, which kind of gross I was it, it was uncomfortable and I you know so there I was whacked in hospital IV drip couple of days in hospital and then I was um, released back into the normal world on the the day that I got home from hospital um, my parents had gathered the elders of the little uniting church that I'd grown up in my entire life and they came round to my parents home the home I'd grown up in and they prayed for me and laid hands on me, prayed that God would heal me and that I would, you know, my health would be restored. And I remember the next day waking up and feeling like 90% well, like which felt so wonderful after being in hospital on an IV drip for, for a couple of days. And I, I absolutely believe that the prayers of faith that these people who loved me um, and had, you know, grown up, watched me grow up, um, had a part to play in the, in the health of my body, along with the amazing miracle of IV antibiotics, both. Um, and I, I had that experience of feeling, you know, unwell to well in the space of a short period of time. I had to be careful for the next six months or so. I would get quite tired. I couldn't do any tackle sport because my spleen had been enlarged in the anyway but you know that didn't bother me doing tackle sports <laughs> and the doctor said I had to eat lollies which um worked really well because it, I don't know why something to do with the spleen as well so that was that was all right so I I've had I guess the experience of of prayer of wellness of healing of the prayers of love of the community of God and feeling that um, wonderful sense of 
sickness to health in my own body. Fast forward many, many, too many years. Um, when I was pregnant with Archie, in, and in between then, of course, we all get sick. I've had a knee surgery, you know, bodies are bodies. When I was pregnant with Archie, I um, remember getting towards the end of my pregnancy when it was time to give birth. And I had had quite difficult pregnancies with Freya and Lexi. Pregnancy and my body do not coexist in a happy um, space. And I'd been quite unwell and I'd had a cesarean with Freya and I'd had, I had to be induced when I had Lexi for other health reasons. When I was having Archie, I remember really wanting to go into labour naturally. Like I knew my, like I knew women's bodies are designed to give birth. I had one cesarean and one birth. So I knew I, you know, I knew I could do it, but I'd had so much medical intervention with both the girls that I just really wanted to not experience that. With Archie, I just wanted to have one really good birth. And so, and at the same time, I had actually been spending quite a bit of time in the passage of the prodigal son where um, I'd just been reading it and meditating on it and especially meditating on that last bit where the eldest son complains to the father and he says, you know, why have you done all this for this younger son? I've worked for you my whole life and you've never even given me like a fatted calf for me and my friends to celebrate with. You know, and he has a big whinge. And the the father says to the eldest son, everything that I have is yours, you know, and with the implication that at any time you could have just asked me and I would have given you a calf or a lamb for you to celebrate with your friends. And so I remember just sitting in this passage and and resonating sometimes with the older brother, as we all do. And then having that kind of realisation of like, okay, God, if you say that, you know, everything that is yours is mine, then I want to ask you, God, this is my fatted calf. My fatted calf is that I would go into labour naturally. And so I was really actually praying for that outcome in the last month of my pregnancy with Archie. I was you know doing the things that we do I was praying I was trusting God I was just and also doing all the things that women do in the last couple of weeks of pregnancy to make sure the baby comes so it wasn't like I sat on my round in my round body and just prayed you know I walked and ate curry and you know I don't know Jessamy you know all the tricks pineapple juice yeah yeah, there's lots of great you know (laughs) strange things I can do that you can do (laughs) none of them did work and at uh nine or ten days overdue there I was in hospital being induced on the drip and actually my my birth with Archie was the most traumatic of the three and so I I I I I suppose I encounter the you know passages like this radical healing of the paralyzed man and I bring to this passage the stories of my own life, the, the goodness of times when my body has experienced healing and wholeness and the disappointment and the pain and the, the I don't knows of unanswered prayers and faith that I've had for things in my own body. These passages like this as we start to wrestle with them, they're not always simple. Um, they can be... They, they can be difficult, especially if we've experienced disappointment, pain, um, disease in our own bodies. 
things that we've prayed for in ourselves or others and those prayers haven't been answered the way we have wanted them to. And I I guess in reflecting on this passage, you know, I recognise that Jesus in all of his ministry and his teaching and his life, as he encountered people, he brought joy and life and wisdom and insight and, and breakthrough and revelation and acceptance and love to so many people everywhere that he went. But I also recognise that where Jesus went, there was often also confusion and doubt and unrest and there was confrontation and challenge and disappointment for those that followed him closely and dearly and for the crowds. Jesus is incredibly magnificent but he was complex when you watch his interactions with people. Um, Things didn't always work out the way the people expected. And I suppose the greatest example we have that is Jesus, betrayed and alone at the very end, you know, with only his mother and a few women at the foot of the cross. And, and John, like, the, it didn't turn out the way they hoped. And this is the Jesus we, we wrestle with. And I guess I've learned that following Jesus in life is really quite incredible. But for me, it's never been simple. And it's... The idea of healing has not always been a simple one for me. And so on, on one level, this passage is a, is a beautiful passage of a simple healing story. I, I actually really love this passage. I love the friends of this man. I love the lengths they go to to dig through the roof. I, I love the pictures you have of, you know, the clods of dirt or whatever it was falling on everybody's heads and, you know, Jesus standing there with a, Matt being like, it's just amazing, this story. I really do love it. Um, And I love the fact that in the end, this man walks out and everyone is amazed. But this story is also complex because there's a lot of people angry in this story. There's a lot of people confused. There's people who weren't expecting this to happen. And Jesus doesn't, he's not straightforward with what goes on um, in this story. He, he, He is messing with with people in a way and as you know this story this story is not not just a healing of an individual which is miraculous in and of itself but it's a complex kind of confrontation of systems at least how mark writes it mark writes it as a deeper thing than just the healing of this individual there's some some really big things going on in this this passage because in this passage as mark writes it jesus is not only ministering to one individual paralyzed man but he's confronting the systems of this community that keep certain people oppressed and make other people privileged and he's doing that at the same time that he's that he's healing this man Jesus is is challenging their worldview in their in their worldview they think the fact that this man can't walk they think that's the main problem but Jesus, I think, is pushing at them to see that there are some much deeper problems at work in your society that are, that are much more complex and toxic than just the fact that this man can't walk. And so, you know, and it comes through in the way that Jesus, in, he, doesn't, he doesn't say to the man initially, you're healed. Like that's the most logical, simple, like, response to make to this paralyzed man. But Jesus 
just says your sins are forgiven, which is like the wrong category of things to apply to this story. But Jesus does that. This is where Jesus is getting at things that are that are deeper. And he's trying to confront the exclusionary tactics that the religious elite use to keep people separate from God. And I don't want to go into that tonight. We could, but this is like the, we could unpack all of what Jesus is doing in this passage, which is Really, he's challenging the fact that in Israel's worldview, this man is a sinner because his condition, the fact that his body is not whole, is evidence to them that he has sin in his life. Or if he was born that way, somewhere there is generational sin. That's why this man is paralyzed. That was their worldview. Because he was paralyzed, he was excluded from the full community of Israel. He couldn't participate properly in the temple because he his body wasn't whole. And so Israel had created a perfection model, you could say, that meant that people like this man were just excluded. So when Jesus comes in and says, I forgive your sins, he's dealing with the exclusionary tactics of the religious elite. Basically, he's saying, Sin is not the reason. There is no reason this man should be excluded because I'm forgiving his sins. And, of course, the teachers of the law complain that only God can forgive sins, by which they really mean we control the forgiveness system and we just get to decide whose sins are forgiven based on the temple, you know, the way they worked. And, you know, so Jesus is confronting and seeking, I think, to heal not just this man, but the systems of power and exclusion in this community. He's going, he's going massive, not just dealing with an individual, although he does that miraculously and with kindness. And so this, this passage is more complex than we think. And I think Jesus is getting, or Mark is getting at this when, when he puts into the mouth of Jesus the words, which is easier. For me to say, get up, pick up your mat and walk, or your sins are forgiven. And he's poking at the fact that actually it's easy, easier, I should say, easier for one person to be bodily healed. It is much harder to heal systems in communities of oppression and exclusion. But I come to do both. That's the healing and the radical healing power of Jesus. And so holding all these things, holding this knowledge, holding these readings of the text in my own life, holding my own stories in my own body as I read the Bible, I think, you know, some of the greatest challenges I've had in my faith and the journey of of spirituality that I've been on have been when I've been told or at least when I have absorbed, oh, I'll say that, that I've absorbed, that faith or life or God is simple. And when, um, and then when I have discovered actually that faith and life and God are nothing, they're really not simple, I have been left feeling confused, bereft, disappointed, and, and occasionally quite angry that the way I was told it would be, it actually hasn't been, it, it's not actually that way. Much the same as many people who encountered Jesus themselves. They, they felt bereft, confused and disappointed. Um, I often think when I read these stories, I think of it as an individual and I forget that I'm part of a system, a complex system of oppression, of privilege, of exclusion and inclusion 
and that Jesus is actually wanting to heal it all, including me. And so if we, look, if we were going to look at the simple, um, the simplicity of this story, we could draw it up like this. I've done a, I'm not a mathematician, Luke is, but, you know, simple thing. That the paralysed man plus his friends times by Jesus equals healing. That's the, that's the simplicity of this story, if we would approach it sim, sim, simply. But it's never simple. And actually, this story isn't simple. It's actually incredibly complex. And if we, I asked Luke, I, I laid this out for Luke. I said, look, this is what I want to say. Can you, can you make a mathematical equation to show the complexity of this? So he did. He spelt paralyzed wrong as a true maths teacher would. This is not an English teacher. But this is, I don't even know how to read that. Hierarchical control. What is that? What's the that is that su- that's sum, isn't it? Sum of systematic, and I don't even know where. There's no n in there. So anyway, this is this <laughs> equals liberation. This is the complexity of this story. So we can read it simply. We can hold the complexity, and actually both are true. Like both are true, but there's. You know, there's more than just simplicity in our faith and in our life. And I've, I just want to be honest tonight with you and say that some of my greatest challenges in faith have been just when I have been told or when I've absorbed only the simple story of faith and I haven't been given the space and the learning in order to understand the complexities of life and how to find God in the midst of it, when, when prayers aren't answered the way we want, when our hopes for our bodies don't happen the way we long for. I haven't always been given the tools to sit well in that space of tension. And I just want to acknowledge that tonight. Here are some other um, simple life formulas that I've encountered in Christianity. Sickness plus prayer times faith equals healing. Following God, if you if you follow life God's way, if you do God's ways and you pray for direction, you you will be safe and you will prosper. If you save sex for marriage and you marry someone who's a Christian, you'll have a healthy marriage. If you pray and you bring your kids to church and you times that by Christian parenting, you'll end up with healthy functional kids. If you times fervent prayer by fasting, it'll mean breakthrough. These are some of the, the simple life and faith formulas I feel like I've been given in Christianity. Do they resonate with anyone? Now, I want to say that actually sometimes these work. And I, maybe they've worked in your life. Some of them have worked okay in mine to various levels. And I reckon we could all of us tell a testimony of our life or someone else's life where this has worked, right? But I also know that life is far more complex than simple formulas can do. And I've sat with enough people in tension and confusion and pain who have done what they've been told and it hasn't worked out the way that they thought it would to know that we need to do better than simple formulas. I'm not saying these things aren't good. In fact, Many, most of those things on there are fabulous. But then there's no guarantees that if we follow the right formula, we'll, we'll get what we long for. That's the complexity. That's the tension. 
Like I have seen healing happen in my own body and in others. And I have sat in the sadness and the disappointment of unanswered prayer. I've seen things work out well in my life and yours. And I have seen chaos and the unexpected. And I've, I've helped other people and myself grow into life beyond disappointment with God. I know that life is both miracle and tragedy, that it's beauty and it's sometimes disaster, that there's pleasure and there's pain, that there's joy and there's loss. And I know you have too. You hold the complexities in your own story and you hold the complexities in your own body and you hold the complexities in your family and your children and your parents and your loved ones. And in the middle of all of this complexity of bodies and healing and wholeness and suffering, what I want to do this afternoon is simply really lift high among us the God of love that despite the things that we face in life, despite how your body feels here this afternoon, despite what pain or suffering or aging or arthritis or disease you might be feeling in your body, the God of love sits large among us and he is with us and he loves us very deeply. This I know. When the formulas haven't worked, when simplicity has given way and buckled into complexity, I've had to somehow find my way through holding on to the God of love. And along the way, I've discovered that God actually doesn't seem very interested in my formulas. God actually doesn't seem very interested in our formulas. But he does seem incredibly interested in the, my friendship. God wants, God wants my friendship. God wants your friendship. God wants your love and he wants to love you. And I've come to really love the words in John 15 where Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And I have come, I suppose, wrestled and had to admit to myself that um, one of the realities of my life that I've wrestled with is that actually, you know what? A lot of the time I would just prefer God to be my master because I can, I know how to work with a boss. Like a boss is a formula. Like if God is a master and God is my boss, then I know that if I just do what I'm told, then I get paid, right? That's the master-servant relationship. Things are clear. You know what to do. You do what you're supposed to do. And at the end of the day, you get your shekel or your dollar or your whatever. It's simple. Like that is sometimes I have to acknowledge, actually, I've really longed for God to be my boss. That's far easier to deal with than for to try to have friendship with God. Because what essentially what I have to confess is that if if I have a master-servant relationship with God and God is not performing according to the way I think he should, I ha then have the opportunity to whinge and complain and even shake my fist at the heavens and say, this is not right. You know, this is not okay. That's, that's what I get to do if God's my boss. I get to whinge and complain like we all sometimes do about our bosses. 
And really, you know, the outcome of a master-servant relationship is payment. And quite frankly, if I'm honest, I just sometimes want to get paid in spiritual bucks. I want to get healed. I want life to go well. You know, I want to, I want to. But in a friendship, actually, the person is the reward. Not what you get from it. And that, I've had to confess, is much harder for me to work with. Because I, it's pulled me deep into the question I feel like God has asked me which is, Carolyn, am I enough? To which on some days I've said no. And on some days I've said yes. To live in friendship with God is a much far more complicated, nuanced and relational thing. As we all know, because friendships are challenging to negotiate, other Entities are hard to work with, let alone a mysterious holy mystery. Um, But friendship with God where I love God not for what he can do for me, but simply for who he is. That's what I've been learning to, to question and to sit with. Is love enough? Is God enough? Is presence and withness and companionship with God enough for me, even if I don't get my miracle, even if I don't have my answered prayer, even if my body ages and declines, is God enough for me? Or do I essentially follow God because of what he can do for me? Like he's my some kind of life insurance policy. And uh, this really has been some of my faith journey in the last 15 years from simplicity through complexity and into love. That God is calling me into love, love for him and his love for me. And so I guess when we encounter healing passages and we sit and we read them, I You know, the truth is, miracles do happen. Healings occur. God is good. Bodies are amazing. There are times that God does amazing things and miracles and healing happen. And it's also true that we sometimes live with pain, broken bodies, illness and unanswered prayer. And I guess I want to offer us a way forward between two extremes of like simplicity hasn't worked out therefore my option is despair and cynicism or you know I I want to either be certain that this will happen or I'm giving the whole thing up like you know there's got to be a third way through the extremes because we've both we've all experienced I think the extremes in our life or in the lives of the loved ones around us there's got to be a better way and I think it is the way of love and because I know that God actually loves bodies God becomes what God loves and God became a body God put on flesh so God loves bodies he knows what bodies are like and he he's with us in every cell he's the breath in our lungs he's you know there is nowhere we can go from God's presence because God is fully within us 
And so God loves bodies. And I think to know the God of love is somehow the way through the extremes of absolute certainty and simplicity about healing or giving it all up and just living in despair or cynicism or whatever it is that the other side is for us. And so as we finish, I just want to offer, I suppose, as I've been praying and sitting with finishing up this series tonight, I just was thinking the the words that kept coming back to me were the words of Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 where he writes, now these three remain, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I think I want to keep calling us back to these things. I want to call us back to faith. These three remain. About anything in life, all of the complexities of life, these three remain. Faith, hope and love. Faith. Can we trust the God of goodness, the God of kindness, the patient God who's gentle? Can we trust him? in the midst of our complexities and the complexities of those we love. Can we hope? Can we practice hope? Not always feel it, but actually just practice hope. That actually healing and wholeness and liberation are actually possible for us and for each other and for our world. That that actually is the hope to which we are called. That God is doing a good thing And he will see it through to completion. We can hope to that. And we can love. That we can choose friendship with God despite the complexities of what that that is. We can choose to love God for who he is, not for what he can do for us. And that we can receive the love of God for us. That we actually can really love one another well. That we can, on behalf of God, as image bearers of God, love one another well. That we can bear each other's burdens and we can bind up each other's wounds. That actually in the ideas of healing and wholeness, we might be the answer to one another's prayers as we love one another well. And we can do these things, faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love. Faith, hope and love. Every day until the world is made new finding our way through the complexities and into love. That's my hope for us, that we would be a community of love, a community of friendship with God, a community that holds one another up to God, who has faith and trust and hope and has love. And so as we finish this afternoon, I do really want us to love one another and to love God together tonight. And so, um, just thinking about what we might do. Actually, how about we just pray? How about we just take a moment to bring ourselves before God? I just want you to bring your own body, your own self, your heart before God tonight. And just check in. Check in with your body. Ask your body, body, how are you going? Check in with God. God, what do you want me to know tonight? What do you want to remind me of?
Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would show us the heart of the Father tonight, that you would lead us to Jesus, the Jesus of wholeness and liberation. Holy Spirit, would you encourage and empower us to love one another and to love you, to live in our bodies in this world with faith, hope and love, that we would find our way through the challenges and the disappointments and the discouragements that we might feel and find our way through to love. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.